Mike, I am super excited to talk about the dwarf planet Pluto with you this week. Yeah, I, Pluto. I feel sad about Pluto. Like, I really think that it should be a planet. Like, it makes me sad. Um, but this I, conversation, Stephen, it doesn't matter because we're not actually talking about that Pluto today. We're talking about a different Pluto. Oh, I, that's a little disappointing, I guess. This week's topic is Project Pluto, a United States government program to develop nuclear-powered engines for use in cruise missiles. That is definitely not an outer solar system body. No, 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 it's not. Nearly was, and we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) On January 1st, 1957, to ring in the new year, the U.S. Air Force and U.S. Atomic Energy Commission commissioned a study on the feasibility of applying heat from nuclear reactors to ramjet engines. Other than just having a cool name, ramjet engines are sort of weird, so you got to stick with us here as we try our best to explain it. They have a very simple design with basically no moving parts, but the concept of it is kind of weird. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. So ramjets cannot move an object from a stop, so you can't start an airplane rolling with a ramjet. They only work after an object is moving. So if you picture a missile in your mind, once it is in flight, thanks to regular rocket motors, so it takes off from the ground or submarine or something, the air velocity going into the front of the missile and to the front of the ramjet would be high enough to allow the engine to function. Because of the simplicity and the weapon's strength, Project Pluto was dubbed the Flying Crowbar. So I wanted to give our listeners one other way to picture how a ramjet engine works. Okay. You know those like personal fans that you have, like the tiny little fans and you can press a button and the blades start spinning? Sure. Like if you blow on those, the propeller moves. Exactly. Because it's already receiving the air and then it has its own trajectory. So it's, it's, that's how I've pictured the ramjet engine to be like. It's good. Yeah, I think that works. I look forward to getting a lot of feedback from engineers that listen to this show. <laughs> now, the fast moving air that would be flying through the ramjet would be cold. And in this design, a small onboard nuclear reactor would heat the air as it entered the engine, where it would then expand and be expelled out of the engine's nozzle, creating force. I mean, it seems simple enough, except for that whole nuclear reactor bit. Yeah, this is the heart of the Air Force's question. Thanks to this heat source, a missile could stay aloft almost indefinitely. This is how Project Pluto was described in an article from Air and Space magazine in 1990. Pluto's namesake was Roman mythology's ruler of the underworld, seemingly an apt inspiration for a locomotive-sized missile that would travel at near treetop level at three times the speed of sound, tossing out hydrogen bombs as it roared overhead. (laughs) Pluto's designers calculated that its shockwave alone might kill people on the ground, but then there was the problem of fallout. In addition to gamma and neutron radiation from the unshielded reactor, Pluto's nuclear ramjet would spew fission fragments out in its exhaust as it flew by. One enterprising weaponeer had a plan to turn an obvious peacetime liability into a wartime asset. He suggested flying the radioactive rocket back and forth over the Soviet Union after it dropped its bombs. Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty serious stuff. Project Pluto was meant to be a real flying death machine. So it could drop nukes, blast overhead at supersonic speeds at low altitude. They had one to avoid radar. It would be almost as loud as the Saturn V rocket, causing widespread damage across the Soviet countryside as it screamed across raining down radioactive material. I think I summed that up. Yeah. So when you look at all of this, you can see why the Air Force was probably interested in creating this project when it was pitched to them. 
So let's talk about what went into making it work just after this break. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter the offer code UNGENIUS at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create the website that you have for that next idea bouncing around in your brain. With a unique domain, award-winning templates, 24-7 customer support, and so much more, they are the perfect place for whatever website you want to build. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that will let you do just anything you want. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You can even add a store to your site in just a few clicks. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial today with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code UNGENIUS to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Work began on Project Pluto, as all cool projects are, out in the desert of Nevada. A complex was built for the program that included six miles of roads, building for fabrication, assembly, and testing of components, and 25 miles of piping, which was necessary to store the approximately 1 million pounds of pressurized air to simulate ramjet flight conditions for Pluto. To make this work, researchers would need to advance material science, which is, of course, a very simple thing to do. Since the reactor had to be small and light, they would need to leave behind the lead-lined safety precautions that normally came with radioactive material. (laughs) Oh no. This custom reactor that they created was dubbed Tori. Pneumatic controls for the reactor in flight had to operate while being radiated at extremely high temperatures. They needed to maintain supersonic speed at low altitude in all kinds of weather, and this meant the reactor had to survive conditions that would melt or disintegrate the metals used in most jet and rocket engines. The reactor's operating temperatures typically reached 2500 Fahrenheit. Now at this temperature, most alloys will melt, forcing the use of components like fuel rods to be made of ceramic, developed by a porcelain company called Coors, who are still around today. This project was so complicated, it was deemed that a full-sized ramjet would need to be built to test just the basic concepts at play. Since Tori spewed so much radioactive material when in operation, a fully automated railroad had to be constructed to move the reactor between the two miles that separated the static test stand from the massive disassembly building. This is where the hot reactor would be taken apart and examined by remote control. It's actually kind of cool for like the late 50s and early 60s. Yeah, this is really high science, but it had the capacity to be incredibly dangerous. Scientists watched the reactor test on a television in a shed located far, far away from the test stand. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah, this shed, so let me put this in a bit of perspective for you. This shed came equipped with a fallout shelter containing a two-week supply of food and water. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> yeah, so you can see what they considered might actually happen to this thing. On May 14th, 1961, the world's first nuclear ramjet, dubbed Tory 2A, mounted on a flatbed rail car and painted fire engine red, roared to life. It ran for just a few seconds at a mere fraction of its rated power. The test was deemed a huge success, and to put into perspective what that bar of success was, the railroad car didn't catch fire... Tory 2A didn't explode, and no one died. I think I like that metric for success. I guess that's a good step one. It seems like a pretty low bar, um, especially when you consider what was actually going on. (laughs) Unfortunately, things went a little downhill after this first test. Tory 2B never made it past the drawing board due to design constraints, and 2C's reactor shattered in initial testing. Whoops. Tory 2C was run again the following week. I guess I just had another reactor handy. Just lying around. (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, why not? Yep. During that test, it ran for five minutes at full power, producing 513 megawatts of power and the equivalent of 35,000 pounds of thrust. As a bonus, less radiation escaped than predicted. That's fantastic. <laughs> great, great. Just a little, just a little radiation. Yeah, some, some leaked. It wasn't none, just less than predicted. To celebrate the success, you can't, you can't blame these guys for this. The scientists stole a piano, loaded it onto a flatbed truck, and drove into town to find a bar singing the whole way. The next morning, since I guess they're scientists and researchers, they all took B12 shots to help ease the hangovers. Is this for real? I read it in two articles. <laughs> oh my word. Why did they steal a piano? They were just excited, man. I guess so. Built a nuclear ramjet. <laughs> also, I'm taking ideas for your bachelor party down right now. <laughs> After the success of 2C, there was talk of a Tory 3, which would be lighter and even more powerful, expected to break Mach 4 while in flight. However... This party was also about to be over. Pentagon officials had thankfully grown increasingly uncomfortable with the monster that they had created. As there was no way to turn off the reactor, if anything went wrong, there was absolutely no way to intervene. During testing, this would have been dealt with, get this, if they would have had a problem during the testing stage, they would have smashed this locomotive-sized aircraft into the ocean at high speeds. This was the way they were going to deal with this. A nuclear locomotive-sized aircraft, mind you. <laughs> yes, adds just a little bit more source to this problem. At the same time, intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, were proving to be more reliable, giving the US another long-range weapon that wasn't like something out of the Book of Revelation. <laughs> On July 1st, 1964, seven years and six months after it was born, Project Pluto was cancelled. The total cost of the project had been $260 million, which is $2 billion with a B in today's dollars. Something happened when we started doing this show, and thing that, something that's become increasingly uncomfortable for me is to realize just how many things militaries try and build. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm very uncomfortable about all of the stuff that we're finding out about. <laughs> we talked about bat bombs and mm -hmm. pigeon-guided missiles. What do you think is crazier? Bat bombs, there'll be a link in the show notes to our episode about that. Bat bombs or... The flying crowbar. Which one is more terrifying? Oh, the the ram, the, the flying crowbar. The ramjet stuff is is horrific. It's totally horrific. agree. <laughs> it it's, really is. It's really terrible that they would strap explosives to animals. Like that's a really horrible thing. It is. But this the the, the sheer firepower they were attempting to create could have ended the world, right? Like, if this thing just decided to just go off on its own, there's nothing that mm -hmm. could be done to stop it. So, yeah, the flying crowbar. As fun as that sounds possibly the worst thing that we've discussed on the show i think the number of ways it could kill you so it's flying extremely low and extremely fast you have a shockwave following it it's extremely loud uh, the shockwave could kill you if it passed over your house if that didn't kill you the nuclear fallout from the reactor because tori is just like burning off nuclear yep. material <laughs> and it was rigged to drop warheads that would have been atomic in nature hydrogen bombs yeah it's it's really a three for one package mm -hmm. and I agree with you. It's probably the scariest thing we've talked about on this show, but thank goodness it was never put into into production because you could just imagine the the one-upping that would happen if this had taken place. It would have been horrific. No, there would have been no one-upping to be had. This would have <laughs> Everyone's been dead. This is done. It's done. Everyone has this been This is up. the one-up. <laughs> If you want to learn more about Project Pluto, uh, we have some links in the show notes. You can find them at relay.fm slash ungenius slash 34. 
There's an article uh, in here that's not on Wikipedia that I, I pulled a lot of this from. It's a fascinating read. There's lots of stuff in here we didn't get into. Just go spend some time reading this. It, it is really, really fascinating. While you're on the website, you can get in touch with us. Uh, all of our sh- uh, topics come from listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so send in your, your topic suggestions. Uh, we should mention, uh, too, that you can do that on Twitter. The show is at Ungeniust. Mike is there as I-M-Y-K-E. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH. And until our next locomotive-sized disaster, Mike, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios.